All right, hey guys, tonight is the first, the first official night of, uh, of Bible study at Logos. Last week we had a barbecue, uh, and tonight we began our in-depth study uh, in the book of Hebrews as we study God's Word, uh, and we're going to be starting a new ser- sermon series uh, that Josh and I are going to be tag teaching, uh, tag team teaching uh, over the next couple of uh, months. Uh, this group, Logos, uh, is the culmination and the combination uh, of two amazing young adult groups that existed at Hillside Christian Fellowship. Uh, and now we are one. It's like uh, when people didn't know they were siblings uh, and then they get reunited at age 20. It's like, what? We're siblings. This is awesome. And, uh, and so I don't know where that came from. I'm not allowed to make uh, examples on the fly anymore. But uh, we had Ecclesia that met on Tuesday nights. We had the Word that met on Wednesday nights. And uh, Ecclesia is Greek for the group. The Word is English for the, the Word. Uh, and so we decided we wanted to keep the integrity of that name. But we wanted to use the same cool concept of uh, being nerdy in Greek. Uh, so we are the Logos, which is Greek for the word. So it's uh, it's really the amalgamation of these two epic groups uh, coming together uh, at Ecclesia's home on the word's night. And now it's Logos's home and evening. And so welcome. If this is your first time uh, to Logos, uh, then welcome. And uh, I'm going to be saying that every week. Josh is going to be saying that every week. Yeah. We're going to be having a great... Yeah, there we go. Uh, we're going to be having uh, worship every week. Uh, so Ruben's going to be one of our worship leaders. Uh, John, my brother, is going to be one of our worship leaders. My wife, Mariah, uh, is going to be leading worship periodically. So we're just going to be jamming and slamming in here. It's going to be a good time. Um, you can use that on your Instagram and your Twitter and your Facebook feeds, hashtag jamming and slamming. Uh, that's worship in the word uh, for all of you who speak English, uh, not Ebonics. Uh, and we're diving right in uh, to Hebrews chapter 1. So open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, our new sermon series is going to be called Forerunner. Uh, we're going to understand why it's called Forerunner more in depth uh, in about six or seven weeks. Um, but Hebrews chapter 6 talks about how Jesus is our forerunner. He has gone before us. He has prepared the way for us. Uh, he has given us an example in which we are to live and follow. And we as followers of Christ, uh, we have now this beautiful game plan laid out in front of us in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is going to break down a bunch of theology for us. It's going to tell us who Christ is. It's going to tell us what we do uh, in our lives as the believer. I want to go over just real quickly a little bit of background, uh, and whenever I say really quickly, uh, that is just an opportunity for me to uh, let you know I'm going to be talking for a very long time. Uh, and so that's pastor speak for uh, buckle your seatbelts and hunker in. Uh, the author of Hebrews is an unknown author, but whoever the author is, stinking loves Jesus. Uh, and so the author of Hebrews has a lot in common with all of us. Uh, he loves Jesus. Uh, And the intro of the book of Hebrews really is going to set the tone for the entire book. The intro, these first three verses that we're going to go over tonight, uh, are going to set the tone for the entire book. Jesus as our high priest. Uh, Jesus is better. So let's read these first three verses, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. It says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is living and active, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, God, I pray that uh, tonight as we spend these next uh, 45 to 55 minutes, God, just studying your word, God, I pray that we would be encouraged and that we would be inspired. Uh, God, that we would be challenged, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. Uh, God, I pray that we would learn something new. Uh, God, that we'd get a nugget of truth. Uh, God, that we would have something that transforms us from the inside out. God, we want to leave this place different than when we came in. Uh, We do not want to be stagnant. We do not want to be complacent. But we want to be people who are always growing in our faith, always growing uh, in our understanding of who you are. And so, God, tonight I pray that we uh, hear from you uh, as your word is divinely inspired. God, I pray that tonight none of these would be my words, uh, but, God, that you would speak through me. Anything that would be of Pastor Matt, God, may it fall on deaf ears or may it not even be able to get out of my mouth. May I just speak gibberish if it's not from you. Uh, And so, God, we pray that your perfect word comes through tonight. Uh, God, we just pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. For those of you who are not used to hearing me speak very often, um, I I normally speak every week uh, and had been for three or four years. Uh, And then Dan, Josh, and I got into an awesome rotation. Uh, And then I spoke at the Word maybe twice in your guys' whole existence. Um, And so if you ever see me pick up a water bottle, this is a pause in the sermon. Um, I give you the opportunity to play a game. Uh, You can play like bingo or something. uh, Because chances are I will pick up this water bottle at least 17 times tonight. uh, And just about get it to my mouth to start drinking but I will never drink from it I don't know why it's like a, like a comfort thing like when a baby has their stuffed animal this is like having a water bottle for some reason is my comfort thing and I will never drink from it so I think uh, the record's 21 I think my record is 21 yeah they had a like bet going on for a few years it was awesome um, yeah 21 times picking up a bottle setting it down picking up a bottle setting it down never taking a drink um, but the book of Hebrews what does the book of Hebrews have to say to us this is uh, an amazing book this is an amazing letter it is written to a group of people and we're going to dive into that in just a second but if you're taking notes tonight which I want to encourage you to take notes every single week you can write your notes you can type your notes you can take notes in, on your arm or on paper or on pen. I don't know how you want to do it, but please, 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 please take notes. Not because I have anything good to say, not because Josh has anything good to say, but because God's word is living and active and God's word reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. So we we can approach God's word with confidence that he's going to speak to us. And uh, he uses, as we even see in these first few verses, at various times in various ways, uh, he speaks to us. And so I believe wholeheartedly uh, that when I've put in the time uh, studying God's word and, and seeking the Lord, God, what do you have for this group? I believe that God wants to speak through me to this group. I believe Josh wants to speak uh, or, or God wants to speak through Josh to this group. Uh, and so please take notes because your life will be enriched when you take notes. Uh, not only that, your memory and your recollection uh, percentage chance uh, gets heightened. Uh, when you take notes, your 
comprehension of, of remembering something uh, goes up exponentially. If you go back and read the notes that you took just once, it goes up even more than that. You have like a 90 plus percent chance of remembering everything that was talked about. So take notes. Take notes. And all your college professors just said, we love you, Pastor Matt. Um, no, seriously, take notes. It's great. And if you're taking notes, the title of tonight's message is The Supreme Revelation, colon, Jesus Christ. The Supreme Revelation, Jesus Christ. Let me reread these first three verses. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, we have this amazing introduction to this amazing letter that is written. Uh, the focus of all of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about how he is the best. Uh, there's no welcome. There's no, I, Paul and Silas, write to you, grace and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. No, there's no welcome. There's no address. There's no salutation. It dives right in with God who at various times is speaking to us. Jesus is the bomb. Like, it's all about Jesus. People don't say the bomb anymore. Uh, I'm almost 30, so uh, that's okay. Uh, Jesus is better. Um, how many of you have ever heard the question? Maybe you've asked the question, what is the best religion? Anyone ever been there or asked that question or been asked that question? Uh, well, the author of Hebrews makes the very bold claim uh, about that question. But he doesn't go and say any specific religion is best. What he does is he says, higher than anything, higher than any religion, any ritual, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Abraham. He's better than Moses. He's better than temples. He's better than monasteries. He's better than your very church. It's all about Jesus, because Jesus is the best. Hebrews affirms Jesus as the supreme revelation, uh, as a better revelation, as a better covenant. The old uh, covenant and the old revelation in the Old Testament was showing us sin and uh, ways to atone for a time. But Jesus fulfills all of this. Jesus shows us uh, that there is a way to the Father. And it is by him, and no one goes to the Father but through him, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5 tells us, without Jesus, there is no rest. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And we live in a world that likes to tell us that there's no absolute truth. You can believe whatever you want. What's truth for you might not be truth for me, but hey, that's okay. Love and peace, bro. But the book of Hebrews tells us, and the author of Hebrews tells us, that you will never find rest you will never have hope unless your faith is in Jesus Christ. I got kind of preachy there. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Um, this letter is a mystery, though. This letter is a mystery, and it drives people like me, like not crazy in a bad way. I get so excited. Uh, and I read scholarly articles of like, yeah, here's a debate from 1901 on who wrote the book of Hebrews. 
Because no one knows. No one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, was it Paul? Well, for about 1,800 years of Christianity, supposedly 1,800 years, but more like uh, 1,500, but we won't get into that. Uh, but people are like, oh, it must be one of Paul's letters because he talks about being in prison and all these things, and we lump it together with Paul's epistles. But is it Paul? I don't know. Is it Barnabas? Barnabas, who traveled with Paul. We have a letter that Paul uh, or, or that Barnabas had written to the church at the tail end of the first century. Barnabas writes this amazing letter, and it has amazing prophecy, and it touches to, to, to Hebrews and Israelology and the Jews and so we're like man the epistle of Barnabas and the epistle to the Hebrews they sound kind of alike so could it be Barnabas I don't know could it be Clement Clement who's a disciple of Paul and a disciple of Peter he writes a letter uh, in 95 AD and he quotes almost 80% of the book of Hebrews in his letter we're like, man, did Clement write it? But then when you look at the theology of Clement as opposed to the theology that's broken down in Hebrews, there's some inconsistencies. So maybe it wasn't Clement who wrote it. Uh, Martin Luther said maybe it was Apollos. If you remember Apollos from the book of Acts, Apollos was this uh, Jew from Alexandria. He was a super great teacher. He knew the scriptures and he taught them well. And then one day as he's teaching them boldly, Priscilla and Aquila are like, yo, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? And he's like, no, who is this Jesus? So like, he's the Messiah. And he's like, oh my goodness, Messiah came. This is awesome. And they teach him truth. And then Apollos goes and becomes one of the greatest missionaries of the first century. He helped establish a church that Paul established in Corinth. So could this have been Apollos? Apollos was a, someone who was a part of the school of Philo, who was this Jewish philosophical thinker from Alexandria. And the, the, the very philosophical elements in the book of Hebrews could lend to Apollos being the author. Others say Silas, others say Philip, others say Paul wrote it not in Greek but in Hebrew and then Luke translated it from Hebrew to Greek. So that's why we have an inconsistency in the Greek language that Paul uses in his other letters. But we don't know. Others say it was Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, and most people who say that say it was actually Priscilla who wrote it, not her husband, but a female author of a New Testament book. So there's there's all sorts of different things. We don't know who wrote it. Um, the theologian in me wants it to be Clement. The historian in me wants it to be Apollos. Uh, I, I think the, the prophetic, like, just junkie that I am uh, wants it to be Barnabas. I think the progressivist that I, I, I have a little bit in me is like, I think that would be cool if a woman wrote a book in the Bible. Because that, that would... Jesus broke down so many cultural walls uh and, and and for a first century christian maybe a woman to write something that became scripture that is like the essence of jesus breaking down cultural walls uh so i would love it to be that but here's the thing we don't know and it's a mystery uh, could it be some grouping of the two we know it was written singular but this person singular also used a plurality says we and us and thus um paul uh every time paul writes a letter he appeals to his apostolic authority Paul says, I am an apostle, and this, this, and this. The writer of Hebrew never claims his apostolic authority. The author of Hebrews, on multiple accounts, says uh, and claims the authority of the eyewitnesses from who he, this writer, he or she, had heard from. Um, I tend to lean more to the Barnabas Apollos camp. Uh, Barnabas was a Levite, so he was very familiar uh, with, with, with um, the priesthood. Uh, so I would love to think it was Barnabas or Apollos because these are two of my heroes that we only get a few verses about. And the historian of me is like, I want something that they wrote. Um, and so, but we don't know. Uh, but we do know that no matter what, uh, they believe that Jesus was supreme. 
uh, in chapter 2 uh, confirms this uh, to us, that they are all about Jesus being supreme. Uh, there was a guy who wrote, uh, he was an early church father in about the mid-third century, a guy by the name of Origen. Uh, thank you, Levi, I appreciate that. Um, there, there was a guy by the name of Origen, and Origen, uh, he wrote on the book of Hebrews, he said, uh, if you wish to know who the author of Hebrews is, uh, you can never know. Because only God and the person who wrote it themselves know who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, he said, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It matters what they believe. Uh, and so this is very early Christians saying, we have no clue. Uh, so it really doesn't matter to us today. It's just fun to think about. Um, but what we do know is that the author was most likely a Hellenistic Jew, meaning a Greek-speaking Jew, uh, who loved Judaism, who loved his Jewish family and his brothers um, who who knew about the diaspora, which is the Jews who were spread throughout the Roman Empire. He was very, very familiar with this. Um, and the letter was written to Jews. Uh, were these Jews Jews that were in Palestine? Are they Jews that were in Rome? Are they Jews who were Jesus followers? Are they Jews who were Pharisees? We don't actually know, but the author of Hebrews is going to call back to the Old Testament authority, the authority of the prophets. But what he's going to do is he's going to say, this is good, this is great, and it's true, but Jesus is so much better. This letter, uh, as we're going to see in chapter 13, verse 22, is all about instruction and exhortation. Uh, there's instruction for the believer, and there's encouragement and exhortation for the believer. Uh, the audience uh, is, is a group of people, and we're going to see this mentioned later on. Uh, it's a group of people who are thinking of going back to Judaism. It's, it's, it's Jews who, chapter 3, verse 1, tells us that they were followers of Jesus, but they're facing persecution, and because of a great persecution arising, they are thinking of going back to Judaism. One of the main reasons it would be easy for these Christians to go back to Judaism in times of persecution is because the Romans actually thought Jews were pretty cool. Romans had a lot of respect for Jews because Jews were the most ancient religious people there were in the world. And Rome really enjoyed religion. Rome really enjoyed antiquity. So Rome said, hey, the Jews had the oldest religion. Let's let them keep practicing. They don't even have to convert to paganism. They can do their thing. But Christianity was something new, and the Romans did not like that. And so it was easy for these people to slip back into the motions of doing their old life, even though they had tasted of the grace of Jesus. Question I'd like to ask, and this is just a, a little tagline you can write in your notes, remember it. Uh, have you ever wanted to go back? Have you ever wanted to go back? You're laughing because I picked up my water bottle. I love that. Uh, have you ever wanted to go back when things got hard? You've experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. You, you know the truth of the gospel, but when things get tough, have you ever wanted to go back to who you were before? Now, for, for some of us, that might be to being someone who's trapped in fear, or maybe it's to the life of the party. Maybe it's going back to some religious philosophical system with rites and rituals, all these different things. But consider what the author of Hebrews says. Jesus is the only option. Nothing else can save. Ritual can't save. Religion can't save. Uh, fear and depression cannot save. Drugs, alcohol, sex, it can't save. Only Jesus can save. Uh, 
You cannot find hope, peace, or rest any other place. The letter to the Hebrews was written around the mid-60s A.D. Uh, One of the reasons we can know that it was written during the 60s uh, is because the temple was destroyed in 70. Uh, And an author, most likely a Jewish author, writing and imploring to the Jews the broken flaws of their ancient religion and how they need Christ. If the temple had been destroyed, he would really use that as an example. Be like, look, the temple was destroyed. Jesus is way better than Judaism. But since he doesn't use that, and since Clement quotes almost 80% of this book in 95, we can know that this book was written at least in the mid-60s. And so this book is going to point out very clearly that there's no other name. Uh, we cannot choose anything else. It is only, always Jesus. Imagine being someone, and maybe you're here today, uh, but imagine being rejected because you decided to follow Jesus. Imagine your family, your friends, uh, your your socioeconomical uh, group, your demographic, uh, they've rejected you because of Jesus. You've been denied rights. You've been denied support. Your entire support structure system to your life has been undercut because you believe in Jesus. That's who these people are. That's who the book of Hebrews is being written to. It's being written to people who put their faith in Jesus. They put it all out on the line. They said, I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. And because of that, they're facing persecution and uh, all sorts of things. And this, this didn't just happen in the first century. This happens today. It happens in, in, in various forms in Western civilization and in America, but around the world, you have people who, who are raised uh, in Islam who uh, give their heart to Jesus, but because they've been raised Islamic, uh, there's a death penalty if they don't come back. Hindus in India who were raised as Hindus, they meet Jesus, but the pressure from their family to go back to Hinduism is so strong. It happens here. Mormons. Someone who's raised up in a Mormon household and then hears the truth about who Jesus really is and they leave their family. Do you know that Mormonism teaches that if you leave because you have some other revelation that your family has to shun you and you cannot have any relationship with your family, your flesh and blood anymore. It sounds like the work of the devil. Yeah, absolutely. And in the 1800s when Mormonism was first starting, uh, There is example after example after example of people giving their heart to Jesus and leaving Mormonism. And as they're walking off the farm, their fathers or their brothers shooting them in the back, killing them because it's better to be dead than to not be a Mormon. That's that's what the author of Hebrews is writing to. He's writing to people who are raised in a certain way get saved, but then have this inner turmoil. What do I do when everything around me is crumbling? Here's the reality. When everything around you is crumbling, Jesus is as solid as a rock. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews encourages faith, not in religion, but in Christ. Religion does a lot of great things. But it's all about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is supreme. If you're taking notes, uh, chapters 1 through 10 are all about instruction. It's going to be instruction for the believer. This is how we can live our lives. This is how we can know that Jesus is supreme. And then verses uh, or chapters 11 through 13 are going to give us exhortation. Now that you have been instructed, go and live by faith. 
This is an amazing book. Other than the book of Romans, theologically, the book of Hebrews is probably the second most, if not uh, on par with the book of Romans, most theologically important book of the New Testament. Hebrews is amazing, and it's all about what? Jesus being supreme. If you walk away tonight with only one phrase, let it be this. Jesus is supreme. Uh, Hebrews is dedicated to the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is the superior person. Jesus is the superior life. Why is he the superior person and having the superior life? Because he's the son of God and man. He's superior in his institution because he's the superior priest. He's superior in life because Jesus is the only way to God. The author, the, 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 the author uses the phrase better. He uses the phrase blood and high priest and priest and sacrifice all these jewish terms but he uses this phrase better or better than 13 different times in this book in the first seven chapters we get jesus is better than the prophet jesus is better than the angels jesus is better than moses jesus is better than joshua jesus is better than the priest he's better than abraham he's better than melchizedek he's better than aaron in the priesthood he's better than the sacrifice Jesus is better. And what the author of Hebrews is saying to not only that first century audience, but to us today, is don't be afraid. Do not be afraid when things get rough, when things get tough, when tribulation comes. Don't be afraid, but be informed that Jesus is so much better. Verse 4 says this, having become so much better. So much better. Not just better. Not just much better, but so much better. Jesus is the best. We're told later that Jesus is a better person. He's a better hope. He's a better covenant. He's a better mediator. He is better in his promises. He is a better sacrifice. He has given us a better possession. He's given us heaven. We get to spend an eternity with him. Jesus it goes on to say this, Jesus has a better resurrection. Amen. For those who put their faith in Jesus, our hope is better. Now, all this being said, let's start the sermon. <laughs> awesome. Verse 1, here we go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. In Greek, this starts out like this. Polymaras kai polytropas. What does that mean? Poly means many. Maras means parts. Poly again, many. And tropas, ways. Many parts in many ways. What's the author saying? He's saying that in the Old Testament, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in the New Testament, we're going to see God speak to us through his son, through Messiah. Uh, in the Old Testament, though, God at various times and in various ways spoke to the prophets, spoke to the fathers through the prophets. God speaks, but it's only in bits and pieces. For almost 4,000 years of human civilization, God is speaking, but it's in bits and pieces. It's never the whole picture. Have you ever been Have you ever been on a road trip and talking on the phone with someone? And then, like, let's say you're going to Columbia Gorge and you start hitting all those tunnels. It's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we're going to get out You don't know what's happening because they're cutting in and out. You're not getting the full picture. God at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers 
by the prophets, but it was never the full picture. Over 3,000 years of God speaking through his prophets, many different authors, many different vessels, but no one got the whole story. But when you start beginning to piece it together, together it unfolds, and the story that we begin to see is Jesus is Mashiach. Jesus is the anointed and the appointed one. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Christos. Jesus is Christ. And what? Jesus is supreme. The Old Testament all points to Jesus. I actually drew in my notes because I'm a drawer when it comes to my notes. This gigantic arrow says the OT a.k.a. the Old Testament, and it points to Jesus. Because Jesus, as we're told, in the fullness of time, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, in the fullness of time, God is amazing. And God sets it up in such a perfect way that Jesus shows up on the scene in like 4 B.C. And it, it couldn't have been a better opportunity for the world to receive the Son of God. And in the fullness of time, the culmination of all of what the prophet said, verse 2 tells us that now in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. God speaks, Romans 1.20. Uh, we see God speaking, not just verbally, but we see him speaking through his creation. His very creation is pointing out his nature, his divine Godhead, so that humanity will be without excuse. If you hear people say, I don't hear God speaking, tell them to open their eyes. You're like, well, I've never heard with my eyes before. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> but open your eyes. God's speaking to you through the very creation. That is all around us. Psalms tells us, and the author of the Psalms says, day and night, creation, the earth is speaking to who the Lord is. The Lord speaks to us in our conscience. It, we know we have this inner duty. There's a morality. There's right and wrong. Our very being as humans we long for supreme justice. You don't have to tell a three-year-old when something's fair or not. They don't have to go to Harvard Law School and get a law degree and pass the bar exam to know that when that kid took my G.I. Joe, that wasn't fair. There's something inside each and every single one of us. Scriptures tells us that it is written on the tablets of our heart that there needs to be supreme justice. And everything speaks and everything's paint or everything paints the picture that Jesus is supreme. Religion, even false religions, show us the human innate desire and need to worship. Every religion is focusing on something. It is, it is humankind elevating themselves to a plane where they can worship something greater than them because they know that we are not the pinnacle of everything. There's something greater. It's in our DNA to worship. It's what we're worshiping. And the audience of the letter to the Hebrews, they would agree that God was active. They would agree that at various times... They, they were Jews who had given their hearts to Jesus. They knew that God was speaking through the prophets to the fathers. They knew. They would not have rejected this idea. But in verse 2, we see the line drawn in the sand. 
but in these last days has spoke to us through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he has made the worlds. God is now speaking through Jesus, who is better not only in person, but better in his message. The message, Jesus brings the full story. It's no longer muffled. It's no longer under a bushel. It's no longer behind a veil. We can see face to face God. And he gives us the full gospel. We see this phrase, person. Uh, the son, by his son. That phrase in the Greek is enweos, or enweos, which literally translated means in a son, not through his son. What does it mean, in a son? That phrase literally means this is the character, the nature, the personal revelation of heaven. It's not impersonal through prophetic or through dream. This is personal. God in a son, in his nature, in his character has spoken to us. It is a very personal message, but not only is it a personal message, it's a perfect personal person bringing a perfect full revelation. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is perfect and he's personal. And he has something for each and every single one of us. There's no future message. There's no thing that's going to be added to this book. Nothing can be added because it says, in Jesus, all things are revealed. All things are revealed. And not only has he spoken to us in these last days, and not only are all things revealed to us, um, but the things that are being revealed our salvation. We can now, through Jesus Christ, attain salvation from our sins. It's all about our lives. Is there more knowledge to be gained about God? Yes. But is there more revelation about God? Absolutely not. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. John chapter 15 tells us this. All things, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, he says... All things have been made known to you. He said, everything I know and I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Does the Bible tell us everything we want to know? Yeah. No, he really does not. I want to know who wrote Hebrews. But does the Bible tell us everything we want to know? No. But does the Bible tell us everything that we need to know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything that's pertaining to righteousness and godliness has been revealed to us. There's no secrets. You know, in the, in the first century and in the second century, third century of Christianity, you had these people going around saying, oh man, I have, I have the secret gospel of Thomas. You know, if you read it, Jesus, Jesus went to, to Thomas uh, and, and he had some secret information he wanted to give him because he didn't want to give it to the rest of the disciples because they were too cocky or something. So he pulled Thomas aside and he said, hey, Thomas, I got some secret knowledge for you. And then Thomas wrote it down and passed it to a few of his close friends and passed it to a few of his close friends. Uh, all of this is spurious and false, but you had these Gnostic religions starting to form out of Christianity that said, we have the secret knowledge of Jesus. There is no secret knowledge of Jesus. There's no new revelation. Sorry, Joseph Smith. Um, I'm not trying to hammer on Mormons. They just make it a lot of stuff wrong. Uh, Muhammad, there's no new revelation from God. The Quran is not the speakings of God. There is no new revelation because everything has been revealed. In these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things. 
Jesus is everything. Uh, Jesus tells us also that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You have seen God. Jesus speaks not for God, but as God. Jesus is the sum of the Old Testament. Uh, it's all about Jesus because Jesus is better than the prophets. Verse 1, we see Jesus or, or, or God speaking through the prophets in bits and pieces. Verse 2, all things are revealed in Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. Uh, anyone know what the kind of the theme is of Hebrews? What is it? Jesus rocks. Jesus rocks. Jesus is supreme. Who cares who wrote Jesus? I mean, who cares who wrote who wrote uh, Hebrews? Jesus is awesome. Yeah. Who cares who wrote? Uh, hashtag Who cares who wrote Hebrews? Jesus is awesome. Oh, I drank my water bottle. That's awesome. All right. Here's seven things for you. Seven things. Write these down. Thank you, sir. Um, Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the instrument of all creation. Jesus is the radiant divinity. Jesus holds all things together. In Jesus, forgiveness is made possible. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And Jesus is better than all of the angels. I'll go through it one more time. Here we go. Jesus is the heir of all things, hence making him supreme. Jesus is the instrument of all creation. Another clue to his supremacy. Jesus is radiant divinity. That's pretty supreme. Uh, Jesus holds all things together. Jesus is pretty powerful. In Jesus, forgiveness is made possible. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. That's pretty... Yeah. It doesn't get much higher than that. Um, and Jesus is better. Jesus has a better name than all of the angels. We see here in verse 2, the, the, the final line of verse 2 says, Through whom, being Jesus... Also, he, being God, made the world, made the worlds, made the universe. Everything was created by Jesus. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, it was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the instrument of all creation. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. Jesus existed before existence itself. Author of Hebrews believes and is convinced that the very conception of the universe was progenerated and upheld by Jesus Christ. Everything that has been thrust into existence is all because of Jesus. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that the scripture teaches uh, how creation took place over six days. Um, but whether you believe a six-day creation, a biblical creation, or you believe what the world has put forth, no matter what, at the end of the day, Jesus is still supreme. So whether it was a big bang, whether it was 14.6 billion years, whether it was six days and the earth has only been around for 6,000 or so years, at the end of the day, it was all started because of Jesus. And what does Jesus have to say about everything? Why is that important? Well, because Jesus is supreme. Verse 3 goes on to say this. Who bring the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power or by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high. Uh, 
we begin to see the author of Hebrews start just lumping on title after title after title after title. Jesus is super duper. Jesus is the man. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is hashtag killing it. Jesus is super stinking crazy awesome. Uh, he doesn't use those phrases. He uses phrases like the brightness of his glory or the radiance of his glory, the express image upholding or the one who holds all things together, he who can purge our, uh, our, our sins, he who sits at the right hand, majesty. He begins to use all of these titles. This phrase brightness, we'll just start breaking down some of these titles because it's awesome. This phrase brightness um, in essence is describing, and, and we don't have time to break down on a whiteboard the Greek and how it's both passive but it's also active uh, and, and, and how this word holds so much. But in essence what this word is saying is uh, if we were to take away the sun, the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. If we were to take the sun away from our solar system, every single living organism would be blind. It is only because of the sun and the light that the sun gives that we are able to see. So now take that to a spiritual level. Jesus is the brightness. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And it is only because of Jesus we are able to see Spiritually, we are able to understand and comprehend things. It's only because of Jesus. One of my favorite songs is by a guy by the name of Josh White. He's from here in Portland. Uh, he's actually the lead pastor um, over at Door Hope. Uh, and uh, he, he has a song, and it has this line, and it goes something like this. It says, Oh, Lord, I am like the moon. Without the sun, I hang in darkness, too. You ever notice why the moon is so bright? We just had a super moon, uh, like, like 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 earlier last week. That was awesome. My wife and I, it's like one o'clock in the morning. We're like, why is it bright outside? And I, so I like Google, what is the moon like tonight? And Google's like, it is a super moon. And I was like, oh my gosh! I'm like running outside. I'm like, I want to see this thing. It was so cool. It was so bright. But why was the moon bright? Well, it's because the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. And without the sun, the moon is dark. So too in our lives, without the S-U, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, we are in utter darkness. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us that you who were once dead in your sin and trespasses, who were in darkness, he has made alive and has brought you into glorious light. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the real deal. It goes on to say this, that he is the express image of God's person. Express image uh, is really cool. Um, it refers to an image or a stamp, a seal, a coin that that. How do I know who I'm paying these taxes to? Well, his face is on the coin. It's the exact image. For us today, we're like, I mean, I don't know. George Washington doesn't live here anymore. So how can we be paying? Uh, it's like a photograph. Let's say you'd never met Levi before. But let's say I had a picture of Levi. And I said, this is what Levi looks like. This is the exact image of Levi. I took the picture Three minutes ago, Levi disappeared, so you didn't get to meet him. But this is him. He was here, I promise. 
That would be the exact image of. Jesus is the exact image of God the Father. That's why Jesus can say, when you have seen me, you have seen God. Um, This is the eternal, invisible God becoming man. He has dual nature. He is the exact image of his person. This word person is the Greek word hypostasis. Hypostasis is a word in theology. It's, 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 there, there, there were schisms in the church over, is it homeostasis or hypostasis? Like, they were like, we don't know what it is. But it's, it's very clearly hypostasis. What does hypostasis mean? It means that which stands under. So Jesus is the exact image of his person. Jesus is him who stands under. You can see where the idea and the heresy can be. If Jesus is he who stands under, Jesus is inferior to God. Oh, but Pastor Matt, I thought Jesus was superior. I thought Jesus was supreme. He is. It's our understanding of the word standing under. It's not inferior. It's the foundation. It's what holds things together. The foundation of this building that we're standing in today, the concrete and the rebar that holds everything together, it's not inferior to this building because without it, this building crumbles. Jesus is the exact image. He is the foundation of who God is. And so when you want to know God, when you want to experience who God the Father is, you need to go and you need to see Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is spirit. I'm going to say that like a million more times tonight. That's awesome. Uh, Jesus is the very reality of the eternal, invisible God becoming flesh and living amongst us. Jesus was a man of dual nature. Jesus resembles God in any way that is possible. Any way that God can be resembled, it's done in Jesus. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. Turn, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. This is awesome. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There we have that hypostasis again. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Things that are eternal, God, who is self-existence. Things that are created, matter, which relies upon the existence self-existent, thrusting existence into existence, and that existence is only able to sustain because of the self-existent. How does that understand? We can't comprehend it. People ask the question, where did God come from? Well, God is self-existent. God has always been. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It's kind of a mystery. But existence is held together because God is self-existent. Okay, here's three things. Uh, God speaks, verse 1. The Son speaks, verse 2. Here we have in verse 3, uh, the word of his power. The word of his power. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to tell us this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says this. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By faith we understand that the very universe... Everything was created by the word of God. And we see here in verse 3 of chapter 1 that it is held together by the power of his word. Verse 3 of chapter 1. So 11 verse 
11 verse 3 tells us that by faith we can understand that the universe is created by the word. And chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that it is uh, his words that hold it all together. God has a plan and it is unfolding in his creation. Human beings are extremely, extremely curious. Because we're created in the image of God. So we have this creator mindset inside of us. And we want to know, how is this here? How is this here? And so uh, we begin to break down and we're like, okay, well, things are made up of dust. And what's dust made up of? And, oh, dust is made up of uh, molecules. Oh, well, now that we have these microscopes, we can see even deeper. What are molecules made of? Molecules are made up of atoms. Oh, man, this is the building block of everything. Well, what are atoms made of? Oh, well, let's try and figure this out. And so we begin to, like, peer into it more. Well, like, oh, there's protons, neutrons, and electrons. Oh, my goodness. This is the fundamental building blocks of all of creation. And then it's like, can we get even deeper? And now we're building things, and we're building particle accelerators so we can split apart protons to see if they're made up of something. And when you look at extreme physics and all that, humanity is curious because we're not God but we want to be God and we want to know what the fundamental building block is Jesus is the fundamental building block but we want to know what holds it all together what makes a proton and a neutron stick together in the nucleus of an atom physics chemistry will tell you it's held together by the strong force. What a phrase. That's awesome. Scientific phrase of the year. Oh, I think it's just held together by the strong force. Like, oh, I mean, that sounds awesome to me. That's that's awesome. Strong force. And like, you're like, this is great. The metachlorians are high. You know, you're like, man. Star um, Wars. You gotta go Star Wars at least once. Uh but science is oblivious that the strongest force, the most supreme force, is the word of God because it's powerful. What holds an atom together? Jesus. And so many people would just say, well, that's just a crutch because you're not smart enough to understand scientifically what holds it together. So you're just going to say Jesus because you're a Christian. No, that's not a cop-out. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus not only holds everything together, he holds even reality together. Author of creation. Not only is the author of creation, but he's the very instrument that is doing the creating, and not only is he doing the creating, it's created for him. Jesus is supreme. Jesus could say right now, I want that chair to fall apart. And the chair would fall apart. Not because he's a magician, not because he's God in the flesh standing here working a miracle. No, because he holds the atoms together. He can make this water separate. And I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> it would freak me out, you know? But God holds the very atoms together. I want to close with this. I don't know how long I've been going. Let's see. Only 50 minutes. I prayed that 45 minutes, 55 minutes. I, I covered myself here. Um, I'm going to wrap up the rest of chapter 1 in like three minutes. Because Josh is itching to preach from chapter 2. Jesus in the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is supreme. He's better than the prophets. We're going to see in verses 4 through the end of this chapter, verses 14, uh, that Jesus is better than the angels. Having become so much better than the angels... 
as he has by inheritance obtained an exceedingly greater name than all of them. He goes on to say, for of which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And we're going to be, I, I'm not, I'm not going to read it because I'd eat up the rest of my time. But the author of Hebrews gives a callback to the, the Psalms, and, and, and he says, has God ever said an angel is this? Has God ever said an angel is this? No, but he says this of himself. He says this of himself. And, and, and we even begin to see in verses like 8 where we see the Son says, and the Son refers to himself as God. We can see the divinity of Jesus. We can see the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And yet, all of this information, all of this information, he, he, he's supreme. He, he holds everything together. He created everything. That, whoa, Jesus, you got a busy job, man. But all that aside, Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about me. Jesus has a personal vested interest in each and every single one of us. He cares about you. He saves. If you put your faith in him, he saves you. How crazy is that? That's what it says in verse 3. It says, when he by himself purged of our sins. The divinity of Christ. Christ took on your sin and purged you of the consequence of your sin. He wants to have a relationship. And that's mind-blowing. And if there's anything humbling in this world, if there's anything humbling in this universe, it's that the person who created it wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus is supreme, not only in his person, not only in his message, but in his relationship. Jesus loves you. So in closing, I said earlier, don't be afraid, be informed. There's a lot of things that can go on in this world. There's a lot of things that can go crashing down around us. But Jesus is supreme. No matter what the government does, no matter what your school does, no matter what your family does, no matter what your religious institution does, no matter what your church does, at the end of the day, none of that matters because Jesus is supreme and he cares for you. So I'm going to pray tonight. I hope you're as excited as I am. I got, I got a little energetic up here because uh, I am so excited about the book of Hebrews. I'm so excited for what God is going to do in and through this group as we get excited about who Jesus is Amen. and about the supremacy of Jesus. When we get Jesus right, everything falls into place. It's when we get Jesus wrong, we, put, we start putting emphasis in other places. It, it happens in other religions, obviously. They put the focus not on Jesus. 
But it also happens in Christianity. We put the focus on worship. We put the focus on the Holy Spirit. We put the focus on the Word of God. All great things. But if the focus is not on Jesus, the focus is in the wrong place. Worship should elevate us to where we are focusing on Jesus. The Holy Spirit, His main ministry is to point people to Jesus. The Word of God, Psalms tells us the entire book is written about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If, 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 if I was asked anything um, at the end of my life, uh, what was it all about? What was it all about? It was all about Jesus. I want that to be the testimony at the end of my life. What was your life about? It was all about Jesus. Uh, so let's be people who fall in love with the supreme revelation, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. God, we thank you that at various times and in various places, you spoke to the fathers through the prophets. And now in these last days, you have spoken by your son. Who holds all things together. God, your word tells us that the son has obtained a great, a better inheritance. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, said that that inheritance is ours because we have been adopted into the family of God. God, we thank you that every spiritual blessing is ours in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you that you are supreme and even amongst your supremacy, you want to have relationship with us. God, help us Focus on you, because really it's hard to focus on anything else because you're so huge. God, you're amazing. And God, we want to fall so much deeper in love with you. God, I pray for this group. God, I pray for Logos. As we spend these next few months going through the book of Hebrews, we learn about Jesus and who Jesus is. God, I pray that we are so encouraged and that we are built up in our faith. And God, that this community and this world would be changed because, God, we have our eyes focused on you. So, God, we praise you. We thank you. Go with us as we go from this place. May we always, always, always remember that you are supreme and that you love us. So, God, we thank you and we praise you. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.